Welcome to the Master Gardener Hour. I am Anita McKee, your host for the day. Um, today we're going to be talking about turf winterization, and we have a special guest who knows everything about turf and then some. But we have Patrick Mawinney, president of Prestige Shrub and Tree. He is, he's got a pretty impressive uh, education. I was blown away when I met him the first time, but he has a BS in botany, he has a master's in plant pathology, and he's also a certified arborist with the state of Georgia. Um, I'll just quickly say, I, um, I was an, I'm also an arborist, and I met Pat at a, um, a, a meeting where we, we, earn, we have to earn educational credits, and I asked one of the extension agents, I said, all right, Tell me, I want the bomb, the man of turf, because I'm having some problems with my zoysia. So he pointed across the room, and he said, that's your guy right there. And I said, okay, he's going to be my new best friend. So I, I, I went up to him, and I got his card. I called him. I had him come out to my home to look at my zoysia because I, it, I, it was frightfully bad. I didn't know what was going on. So he um, he came out. He took a look at it. We talked for about an hour. He pointed out several things. And um, at the end of the conversation, um, we anyway, I had him price my chemicals and because and, we did all of that ourselves. And he gave me a price. It was $30 more than what I was paying to do it myself. Well, that's an easy, you know, that's, that's an easy thing right there, decision. So... Pat's tr- Pat got in his truck. He left. He was not a block away when I turned on my husband and said, you are in the biggest trouble with me because he, I did had some, I, I had went, I had some spring dieback, a little bit of that, but a lot of the problems was husband inflicted. So he really got it for that one. So I'm telling you. I didn't mean to get him in trouble. I, oh, he well, had, actually, actually, I don't really care. <laughs> he had bite marks in his face. After you left, you know, so, as soon as I got to that property, I looked. I went, "Yeah, there's been some." Uh, he's in big. Yeah, there's been some <laughs> homeowner activity involved here. Absolutely. So anyway, he saved he saved my husband's life, and my uh, my turf looks fabulous, and he just he knows everything. So that's why he's here today. But um, first, um, I want him. We're going to talk about the most common turf types in the United States, and I'll let him explain that to you, and um, just so you can. You'll know, and you most people know what kind of turf they have, and um, I'll let him start. Yeah, the, so welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. And so, and after that introduction, it's always better just to say we found this guy on the street, and but he knows a little about turf versus that introduction. So now I have to live up to this. Yeah, uh, you can do it. Yeah, you okay. can do it. We'll give it a shot. All right. Um, the the uh, United States is interesting. There's really just the basic warm season turfs. Uh, and cool season turfs. Uh, we've got some uh, a, gra- a new grass called buffalo grass that's being used more and more, um, and uh, mainly in the Midwest and stuff. But there's there's basically four zones. Uh, there's a cool humid zone, a cool arid zone. You, you make sure you take notes on this, everybody. So, uh, cool humid zone, a cool arid zone. Uh, and then you've got a warm uh, arid zone also. And the the area that we're in is called transition zone. It is the hardest area to grow grass in. It is really too cold for the warm season turfs, and it's really too hot for the cool season turfs. And so we are in the transition zone. The transition zone actually uh, overlaps into Georgia, Alabama, and it goes further north and further west. So that's one of the major problems. Um, Of the turfs, 
in the United States, really what you've got is you've got Zoysia, you've got Bermuda, you've got Centipede, uh, St. Augustine further south. Uh, St. Augustine is also found Midwest, believe it or not, even though you would not think it would grow there in the colder climes. There's some um, varieties that are adapted to that. Like I said, buffalo grass is coming online. Uh, buffalo grass is a field um, grass uh, that's used. It was really developed out uh, in the Midwest. It grows naturally out there. You're seeing more of this kind of try to creep into our area. I don't think it's going to work well because, again, this transition zone makes it hard to uh, grow some of these grasses. Um, you've also got um, uh, the fescue uh, and the cool season grasses, the fescue and bluegrass. Uh, you, you're, you'll hear heat-tolerant blue a lot used. Uh, and uh, so overall, I mean, the, the, your best bet is go to the Extension Service, which you'll hear me say over and over again. Go to the Extension Service in your area, and they have all the data on what grows best in your area for your zone and how to take care of it and how to treat it. And so uh, a lot of folks go to the store and the store sells them something says oh this is how you need to use this grass or this is how you need to uh, install it and maintain it and they're usually wrong uh, because they're taking stuff off of websites that are very general so if you go to the extension service they're going to tell you exactly how to uh, establish the grass and maintain it so that's your best bet there so 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 again going to people who sell turf and turf related products they've got a dog in the fight so to speak exactly and they're gonna lead you down the wrong path exactly just because they're there to sell their products that and also a lot of times you'll hear the commercials on the radio um we get a lot of commercials in the southeast that are completely wrong because it's a commercial that's really for the northeast or midwest but they're running it down in the southeast and it just happens to be that they're running really the kind of the wrong commercial they're not really trying to fool anybody or you know or trick you into buying stuff it's just the wrong commercial so the commercials say oh yeah now's the time to aerate and seed well that may be a springtime commercial well we don't aerate and seed in the spring we aerate warm season but we don't seed anything in the spring so again if you get all this extension data that's they know ex- best what is going to be uh, um, for your, you know, the best for your area. Okay. All right. What about, is there a grass, and I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a turf person. Um, is it called Bahia? Bahia grass? Bahia? But Bahia. Bahia. Yes. Oops, sorry about that. It's okay. I mean, it's, it, it looks. Bahia. Yeah. I'm sorry. All right. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's spelled like that. So it doesn't. Well, Bahia. I obviously failed yeah. phonics. Bahia is a real, really more of a field grass. You find it further south uh, of Atlanta area. Uh, you'll see it in the fields a lot. It's a, um, normally a um, field pasture grass. Though Bahia is used in lawns sometimes, there's also a grass called carpet grass that's used further south into uh, South Alabama, South Georgia, uh, into Florida. Um, they, again, really different type of um, uh, maintenance and um, establishment processes for those grasses. So, again, I go back to extension and figure out how to do that. Uh, you'll see Bahia used, if you move further south into Georgia, Florida, um, rather Georgia, Alabama, Florida, uh, Louisiana, You'll see Bahia used in pastures a lot. Uh, there's also pasture cultivars of the warm season Bermuda turfs that are really not suited for homes. Okay. So, uh, in the home, uh, in uh, let's just looking in the southeast, which is fairly uniform with what you call the southeast area. So we're going to call it Atlanta at this point. But uh, you're going to look at um, your zoysia and the um, Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have centipede lawns here. They don't like our clay soils that much. So as you move further south in the state into the sandier soils, the centipedes do better. Uh, they also don't like the weather. It's a little cold up here for them. So as you move even as 
far south as we are in Atlanta, Birmingham, as you move above that, you're getting a little cold for centipede. You'll get some uh, kill there. Um, the um, St. Augustine, there are St. Augustine turfs around here, and they do pretty well, but it's really a microclimate situation across the board. You just don't want to put St. Augustine in. A lot of right. issues usually. Cool season turf. Our hybrid fescues are the turf. Uh, there's a lot of different variations of this, but it goes back to the hybrid turf-type fescue. Now, when you say bluegrass, cool season, do you mean, I've heard of Kentucky bluegrass? Saying, yeah. Okay. yeah, there's a Kentucky bluegrass. There's uh, some of the creeping uh, uh, poas and bluegrasses, uh, Texas blue, this type of thing. Uh, they were introduced about eight years ago, I think, uh, something like that, into the Atlanta area for the turf market. And the, you, the one big one you always hear is heat-tolerant blue. It's a trade name uh, for one of the turfs. Um, and you'll notice now after, let's say it was eight years, you'll notice now that you don't see much of it is because it just doesn't hold up well in this heat that we have. Uh, it, and it's not just the temperature, it's also the soil type, the rain patterns, this type of thing. So, again, after all that and you throw everything in the in the soup bowl, we're back to hybrid fescue, turf-type fescues. Okay. So. All right. All right. All right. Let's talk, which is why we're here today. We want to talk about winterization. So I know we're already into November, um, and a lot of this stuff has already started to take place. But talk a little about, talk a lot about, actually, about the fall treatments for the cool season and the warm season turf. You know, just to prep it for winter. Right. Make sure that it looks fabulous next spring. Right. Because that's what we want, you know. Right. Get all the husbands, you know, out of the chair, you know. Exactly. And, you know, and that's what you're after with the cool season turf. We'll start with that. Um, you need to aerate and seed fescue every year. And I'm going to make that as the general comment. And I'll, okay. I'll mention and this later. this is fescue. This is fescue. All right. Uh, and there are there's some stuff you can do to fescue during the year that actually may preclude the need to actually aerate and seed every fall. Mm -hmm. But I'll go over that briefly later. The main thing is, with the fescue, uh, you need to aerate seed every fall, and that needs to be done toward the end of September as we move into October. That's kind of a prime time to do the aeration seeding. Uh, you need to use the correct rate, 5 to 10 pounds of fescue seed per 1,000 square feet. And then um, the uh, at that point, you can use a starter fertilizer, uh, which you can buy at any of the big box stores. Uh, usually they're 1959s, uh, mixtures like this. You can use a light starter as per directions on the bag. Each bag is slightly different. Um, then you want to go, after you get it aerated, seeded, it's established. You don't want to mow it at all until you get about a three-inch height on the new seedlings, not the old grass, because it's very tender. And then after it's about three inches tall, then you can mow it. And then you want to stay off it as much as possible. There's not a need for you to run in there and keep mowing, 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 mowing. Uh, a lot of... Uh, Maintenance companies and homeowners will mow the turf to control leaves, which is bad. You're mm -hmm. just wearing it out. Uh, it's better to blow the leaves off and don't rake it because you'll mm -hmm. tear out all those baby seedlings. Uh, then as you move into November, you want to do a fall nitrogen application. This is fescue because it's a cool season turf, so it's going to be wanting to develop and grow over winter time. So after you've had your starter fertilizer put down when you aerate seed, you want to go in there in November-ish, and you want to put down a slow-release nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, numbers on that bag are going to look like 2400, 3200, something High like nitrogen, that. High nitrogen, which is nitrogen. the first number. The first number. people don't know. Mm -hmm. And you want a slow-release. And the slow-release, you want to put down about a pound and a half of nitrogen. And again, read the bag. It, all, it depends on your 
analysis. So if you just read the bag, it'll tell you exactly how much to put out per 1,000 square feet. To get your 1,000 square feet, it's, it's, as Bullwinkle used to say, it's yai by yai. You, how wide is it and how long is it? You multiply it together, that's your square footage. So uh, once you do that with fescue, you're pretty well good to go moving into the wintertime. you notice I didn't find, say any weed control. You don't use weed control in the fall on fescue because you will damage the seedlings. And if you damage the seedlings, then they're not going. They're usually going to fade out as they move into next year, and they definitely will not make it through the first heat wave Is next that year. Any chemicals pre-emergence? Exactly, any pre-emergent or post-emergent. Okay. Which means that you will have weeds. So, and that's what people complain about is the fescues get weedy. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Okay. Um, what about, let's see, okay, weed, no weed control. You went over the fertilizer. Tell me about, you know, before we get into that, let's, we're going to have to take a break, um, and then we'll come back and we'll pick back up on, um, on fescue. How about that? Sounds good. All right. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Hello, I'm Ray Bowman, and I'm really looking forward to our new show, Food and Farm, brought to you every Friday at noon on America's Web Radio by FeedstuffsFoodLink.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. I'm Anita McKee, and we are talking today with Pat Mawinney about turf winterization, and we were talking um, before the break about fescue, um, and I think that's where we'll, we'll we'll pick up right there where we left off. So yeah, Pat, I, yeah, I want to revisit the fescue a little bit. Um, we were talking about the weed, no weed control. Yes. Um, some folks will try to put pre-emergent down early and then aerate and seed it, and it's not going to work. No. Uh, the seeds usually will germinate. They'll go, see, the seeds germinate. They'll germinate, but then they're very damaged, and they just don't last very long. So you're going to have weedy fescue into the fall and into January, which is perfectly fine. The weeds won't outcompete the fescue. Um, and that's the main uh, one of the main issues with pre-emergence, too, is that the later you wait in the fall to aerate and seed, because right now we're late on date, Yes. you can still do it. But the later you wait when you start your program next year for fescue with the pre- and post-emergent weed control, 
then it's damages that younger turf still. It, it weakens the younger turf. So you're kind of caught. If you do a late aeration seeding, the normal program next year will cause your fescue not to perform as well. So it's better to try to hit that window September through October window to aerate and seed. Okay. Uh, if you haven't done it at all, it's still better to go ahead and do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, we'll finish on the fescue just the following year. Then your program is going to be a standard program. You're going to do a pre-emergent uh, in the spring. When I say spring, we're talking about February, and that's going to be your pre-emergent. That is your crabgrass control for actually August. Okay. Okay. It also picks up broadleaf weeds and other weeds, but that's, that application is for really for the August or, or summertime crabgrass germination. That pre-emergent keeps that down. It reduces the problem. Then also you're going to do a post-emergent, which is the contact herbicide. That takes care of all those weeds that you didn't kill in the fall. Right. And then also uh, then you're going to start it with a starter fertilizer. Since we're kind of talking about fall here, I'm not going to go any further into that, but that's when this starter fertilizer goes into the fescue and it pumps it up for the following year. Okay. So, all right. Uh, I mentioned the one thing that um, – Aeration seeding, people ask all the time, well, can I, do I have to do it every year? Can I skip a year? This type of thing. You can usually skip a year if you didn't lose a lot of turf, but because fescue is a cool season turf, a brutal hot summer, brutally hot summer, will thin the stand severely. Therefore, you have to reinvigorate it, reseed it to fill the stand again. Uh, what we found is if you're doing a lot of fungicide in the summer, for brown patch control, which fescue always gets. Always, always. So if you're doing a heavy fungicide application program, which is usually four fungicides in the summertime, you will find that your stand is not thin because you didn't have any disease activity. And so as you move into the fall, you may actually be able to skip a seeding years. Okay. But that's, that's kind of a real... Um, it's a very expensive program to run, and some of the companies run them, uh, lawn care companies run them, some of them don't. But, uh, you know, it's it's the double-edged sword, you know, which which are you going to pay? You know, pay, uh, pay Peter, Rob Peter to pay Paul type of thing. You know, you either a lot of money for fungicide, you know, have seed, or just let it thin out in the summertime. So, uh, But the main thing in the fall is no weed control. You just can't do weed control on that on that new seed. You know, okay. Like so. All right. Because, you know, what we had fescue for years and years and years, and and my husband loved it because it's green in the right. wintertime. He just he said, I cannot I cannot bring myself to have a brown lawn in the wintertime. Right. Well, you know what? You just, I mean, fescue is high maintenance. It is. It is very high maintenance. It is. And I finally threw in the towel, and I can be a very persuasive woman. <laughs> and I, and I, I said, that's it. Yeah. If you want to live with me, you are going to change this lawn dysphagia. And that's exactly what we did, and we have not regretted it. And you know what? We really don't We really don't mind the brown grass, but fescue is really nice. I mean, well, it's just, it is. The texture is nice. The, it's yeah. green. It's rich looking. But it. But you're right. The brown patch in the summertime, oh, my goodness. Well, the brown patch, also, it, it's, um, in y'all's case, because I know your lawn, in y'all's case, <laughs> that full sun, it's not it's for tough. fescue. It's tough. And no. you can hold fescue in that, with, but it's you spend, like you said, it's very high maintenance, a lot of money yes. being dumped into that to maintain fescue. So, uh, again, you kind of pick your battles. You put your the correct herb yes. in the correct area. You and, know, you know, I have a neighbor who lives uh, actually around the corner, but she's got a lot of shade. 
and she has the most gorgeous fescue lawn. Exactly. Absolutely gorgeous, but she doesn't have that hot, blazing right. sun all day. I mean, it is thick, and it is gorgeous. Right. It really is. It really yeah. is. So it so might, nice. Yeah, and if you get the heavier shade, even fescue doesn't like real super heavy shade. No, it's just it's like bright light. Bright light. Shade with bright yeah, light. Call, it's with, perfect. In the South, we call that high shade. High shade, high okay. shade. like Which high like, cotton. That's exactly, right. high shade. That's right. Okay, all right. So let's move on to uh, warm season grasses, okay. which are my favorite. Well, we've got, yeah, of the warm season, uh, again, what we're dealing with are the zoysias. Uh, you're dealing with basically emerald zoysia mm-hmm. and Meyer zoysia. There are variations on this now. In the southeast, uh, we're seeing a lot of new turfs, and I'm going to say with nobody can see this, but the quotes in front of you know, front and behind the new turf, um, new turf types. Uh, you're finding Jammer is one of them. That's uh, a little more shade tolerant, correct? Well, Zeon. Zeon. Now, Zeon is an emerald type, and okay. I'm getting in trouble with the experts for this, but basically, as far as genetics go, it's more of an emerald, fine bladed type grass. That's Zeon. There is one called Zenith. Zenith is touted as being very shade tolerant. Now, here's the deal. This is the nuance of the American language. This is why I like the language so much. Is because when you say shade tolerant, it doesn't mean it grows in shade well. It means it tolerates some shade. The shadier it is, the less well it grows. Right. There's a new Bermuda uh, out. And of the zoysias, there's, there's tons of these things. Xeon is your best shade tolerant zoysia at this point. Beyond that, as you move away from that, all of them tolerate less shade. Okay, and Xeon still wants six hours of direct sunlight. Okay. Okay, see, that's the magic. That's a lot of direct sunlight. That is. Key word, direct sunlight. Yes. Okay, not high shade, not bright. Right. You can walk out there. I've had arguments with customers. They're going, no, we're in full sun. You go, no, you're actually in high shade. You are in a situation that's very bright because the trees are very tall, but it never gets direct sun. Right. So when you move off of that, that's when you start having problems with these turfs. Move into the Meyer ties. Meyer does not like shade. Meyer, uh, there's an old myth that Meyer is more shade tolerant. And the only thing we can figure is, is because of the wider blade, and this is what we conjecture here, because it has a wider blade than emerald, it kind of looks like fescue. Therefore, the circular reasoning says that it must be like fescue. It's more shade tolerant. Exactly opposite. In a warm season turf, if it's got a wider blade, it wants more sunlight because it's designed to have the wider blade to absorb more sun. Okay. Uh, with emerald, finer blade, it doesn't need that blade surface to absorb as much sun. Therefore, if it doesn't have as much sun, it still does okay. All right. What you'll see with, like, Xeon uh, um, zoysia is that in pretty heavy shade, it never goes away completely. It just doesn't grow very well. It just is very thin and stuff, but it's still there. You move The sunnier it gets, the better it gets. You put mire in that, mire disappears. You put jammer in it, jammer disappears. You put zenith in it, which is a seeded type of zoysia versus the hybrids. The hybrids mm-hmm. are all vegetative only. Zenith completely disappears in shade. It just won't. But it's highly touted as shade tolerant. Yes, it is, but Uh-oh. not heavy shade. Uh-oh. Yes. So when we get customers say, what should we put in? We go, Xeon's going to be your best bet if you're going to go that route. Not zenith. Now, there's nothing wrong with zenith in the right space, in the right spot. So... Moving to the Bermudas, the Bermuda standard hybrid Bermuda, you will find um, usually it's 419 hybrid Bermuda, Tifway Bermuda. That's been around forever. You'll find hybrid common, which is a seed. That is not the same turf. You don't seed 
hybrid Bermuda. It is not the same turf. We have customers who go out and go, my Bermuda's thinning, I put seed out. It's a different kind of Bermuda. It's very stringy, leggy. It, you can see it in, the, in your hybrid turf, and it does not do well. So, again, two different animals there. Of these turfs, the zoysias, uh, pretty much except for zenith, the Bermuda, these are all vegetative-only hybrids. That's why you have to have sod or sprigs, but you can't seed them. Okay, zenith is that exception. You can seed that turf. Um, the uh, other warm season turf we t- touched on, centipede, St. Augustine. Centipede, you have to don't have to do a whole lot to. It, it normally is what people realize is it never turns dark green. It's supposed to be light green. They try to get it turned dark green, then they overfeed it and have problems with it. So, okay. uh, St. Augustine, whole different animal. Let's, we're not even going to go there. It's just a turf that we don't usually deal with that much. Again, it's very low maintenance. Where it's happy, it's very good. And you said St. Augustine is found in what part? St. Augustine is really more f- further south than Atlanta, Birmingham. Uh, though you find it up here okay. occasionally, it, it's going to grow better in the sandier soils like the centipede does. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's talk about fall, getting yes, these ready. Let's talk okay, about Let's fall. move back to that after I digressed. Um, so what you want to do in the fall, it's different than the uh, the fescue in that you do want to have a fall pre-emergent on warm season turf. This takes care of your winter weeds. doesn't hurt the grass. The grass is going dormant. It starts to thin out. The weeds can move in very easily. So you're going to put a fall pre-emergent, which is like a crabgrass preventer. Right. Okay. You're going to put that down September-ish. Okay. Mm-hmm. September, October is a good time to put that down. That takes care of your winter weeds moving you into January, February. All right. The next thing is you never scalp zoysia or Bermuda in the fall. You don't do a low mowing or a scalping. That's a spring activity. All right. Because? Because you will get root damage. You're taking the top off of the plant. That insulating layer. Insulating layer. Thank you. And then the root system, if we have a hard freeze, which normally you don't get very deep freezes in the southeast, but you can get enough hard freeze, and especially if it's dry, you'll get root system damage, then you get winter kill. Okay, so you you leave it very long. It's also important to uh, on the warm season turfs. We preach if you're especially if you're real mowing, stop real mowing back the first of August. Switch to a rotary mower and let that top height get very long because the the taller your turf on the top, the deeper the root system. Exactly opposite what everybody thinks because they see golf courses being mowed short. Looks beautiful. There must be that's the best way to do it. You're you don't live on a golf course. If you do live on a golf course and you have golf course turf, different deal. But homeowners, whether you're clay, sand, whatever else, if you're real mowing or even cutting it short during the year, the first part of August, let it start growing long, and then that root system will help, will recover from all the year's uh, stresses. Not enough water, too much water, et cetera. Um, let that slide into the fall long because you're going to scalp it in the spring. Okay. Uh, the only other thing you have to do in the fall is really um, you're going to aerate it in the spring so there's no aeration to be done. You get your pre-emergent down. You want to put a low nitrogen or preferably zero nitrogen fertilizer out with phosphorus and potassium, the second two numbers, right. the P and the K. Uh, a uh, 01515, 055, any of those numbers follow the bag directions. That first number is zero, which is nitrogen. You don't want to do nitrogen in the fall. You also don't want to fertilize these these warm season turfs past August. Everybody wants them to be green until Thanksgiving. They're not supposed to. No. They're supposed to turn off really the first frost, which is going to be about as we move into October. They're supposed to turn off and turn brown. Normal. If your turf is still green in Thanksgiving, you got problems. You'll have disease issues, this type of thing. 
Um, other than that, on the uh, warm season turf, what am I forgetting? Um, uh, let's see. Um, I think that's that's basically it. Um, oh, the one of the one of the exceptions. If you do have centipede, you do actually scalp centipede in the fall. It's exactly opposite. Really? You scalp it because centipede develops what's called aerial rhizomes. They are actually a type of root, but those roots are above the soil level, and you have to cut those down. If you don't, you get winter kill. It's exactly opposite of your Bermudas and Zoysias. All right, great. All right, well, um, let's take a break. Uh, You're listening to the Master Gardener Hour. We're talking about turf winterization. We will be with Pat and Winnie. We're going to take a break, and we will be right back. This is Dr. Elena George with your health tip of the day. Did you know that throat itching and tickling, nasal itching, eye itching, skin itching, eczema, and hives are all signs of allergy? A person suffering from allergy does not always have sneezing and a runny nose. If you have noticed that these symptoms are always present year-round, you may have allergies to what you are eating. Foods such as wheat, eggs, dairy products, and corn are present in most foods. Corn in particular is present in most processed foods and soft drinks in the form of high fructose corn syrup. Completely removing these foods from your diet for at least two months can in some cases stop the symptoms. Keeping a food diary or getting tested for food allergies is the fastest way to find out what foods are causing your symptoms. If you think you have a food allergy, it is important to see a doctor who specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of allergy. By rotating the food into the diet once every two weeks, allergies can be controlled and you can still eat the food. Quick steaks. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Come on, follow Snipples to Atlanta's go-to center for breathing easy. Do you suffer from chronic sinus headaches, recurrent sinusitis, facial pain or pressure, and chronic congestion? Well, balloon sinuplasty just could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow Snipples.com. We treat the problem, not the symptom. Chronic sinus symptoms, gone. This could be the cure you're looking for. Follow me and breathe easy. This proven in-office procedure can have you breathing easy, back to work the next day, and it's done under local anesthesia. Get lasting relief, a quick recovery, and start breathing easy again. Follow me and breathe easy. Follow sniffles.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. We are talking with Pat Mawinney about uh, turf winterization and... Um, I've learned a lot that I had no idea, but guess what? It, I'm, gonna, I'm just taking notes because he does my lawn, and I know I'm in good hands. So, um, but anyway, let's get back. Let's revisit uh, warm season grass. I think we kind of left off 
at where did we leave off? Let's do, we, let's do a recap. All right, let's recap yeah. what we talked about. Um, so on the warm season turf, which we're going to talk about, we're going to say Bermuda and Zoysia. And then I'm going to mention centipede at the end. Okay, great. Right. So on the Bermuda and Zoysia, um, you want to allow the turf height to come up in August. So yes. if you're mowing it inch and a half, two inches, you want to go ahead and let it go, come up to three. If you're real mowing it, even though nobody likes to do it, you really need to put the real mower away, allow that turf height to come up. That helps the root system recover. The taller the top, the higher the, the growth, the height, the higher the height, the deeper the root system. And that's going to help you with overwintering, reduces any winter kill. Uh, the next thing you want to do uh, for the Bermuda and the Zoysia is um, put your pre-emergent down, September, October. Uh, it's a crabgrass preventer. What you'll find it at the store probably is a crabgrass preventer. Uh, you don't want anything with fertilizer in it unless it's zero nitrogen. So just a plain crabgrass preventer, and that's going to take care of your winter weeds. Even though we're not talking crabgrass, it's still to, it's the same type of herbicide. Right. Uh, once you do that, you, the last thing you need to do is put down like a 055, 01010, uh, and the three numbers, NPK, so your nitrogen is zero, first number. And then the PK, the phosphorus and the potassium, those numbers, it doesn't really matter as long as you follow the bag directions, but that phosphorus potassium helps you for overwintering. Yes. Okay. That develops the root system. It helps develop the root system and makes it uh, gives you increased winter hardiness. Uh, you do not scalp the warm season in the fall. Okay. Now we're going to jump over here to the centipede. That's the exception. You actually do scalp centipede in the fall to take care of those aerial rhizomes. Uh, and we're not going to talk about the pre-emergence, everything else on the centipede in the fall. You need to follow a centipede program. It's different. Uh, and, you, right. again, we're going to jump back to extension and go, how do I take care of my centipede? They're going to be able to help you with that. Uh, anywhere you are in the United States, go to the extension and say, how do I do this winterization? They give they have all the programs and all the research. So um, so that was the main thing there. Uh, your, uh, the scalping we touched on, that's a winter. Uh, sorry, it's a spring at green up time. When you, in scalping, you, you reduce the, the old uh, top growth. Uh, by mowing it down, you do not super scalp what we call super scalping, which is like the Bermuda. You take it down very short. You don't want to scuff the dirt, but you're taking it very short. You don't do that to zoysia. You just want to take the top off the zoysia and bring it back down to your regular mowing height. If you scalp it too low, it takes forever for it to recover. It's very slow to recover in the uh -oh. coming out of the spring. Yes. Uh -oh. uh, you can cause more winter winter kill if we get a late frost. You get more disease activity. It's just slower starting. So when you do your mowing on zoysia in the spring, pretty much what you're doing is dropping it back to your normal mowing height, not that real super short uh, that everybody that you see the commercial people especially doing on the um, on the Bermuda um, mowing height during the year again uh, you can keep it short as long as you mow frequently and that's for the that's for the spring show and uh, I mean it, you can get into this where it, you want to keep the Bermuda and zoysias at one and a half to two inches you can keep them longer if you want it doesn't hurt anything again the taller the top the deeper the root system uh, the look is everybody likes it short, mm -hmm. uh, but that actually stresses the turf out. Uh, for fescue, I mow mine at three inches. I just keep it at three inches all, all year long. Um, and uh, the I higher you the, have great looking grass. Yeah, and well, it, it usually comes out pretty well. There's, okay. There's a lot of money going if into you that. You don't have good looking grass, honey. There's <laughs> something wrong <laughs> with this. Exactly right. We should not be talking. That's right. <laughs> uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna touch real quick on watering. We preach one inch a week watering. Now, if it rain, if you have rainfall, you're going to check this with the rain gauge. You've also calibrated, which I know everybody has done. They've calibrated their irrigation systems because they know exactly what zone each zone puts out. 
And I'm being facetious because nobody calibrates them, and all you have to do to calibrate is catch the water in the zone in a shoebox type of thing or, any, you know, straight-sided pan. When you get an inch, that's how many minutes, whatever the minutes are in the clock, now you've calibrated. So you want to shoot for one inch per week. That's the rule of thumb across the board year-round. Obviously, if it's freezing, you don't want to water. So you're going to back off, turn the system off. Uh, I never flush my system out and turn it off completely in the wintertime because we, in the southeast, usually don't have deep enough freezes to affect uh, irrigation. Then when I get up 60, 70 degrees, and it's been like this for a while, even in the 50s, no rainfall, it's very dry, I water one inch per zone to replenish and rehydrate the soil. Okay. Do that even on the warm season turfs. You have happier, healthier turf. If the soil is moist, if you have severe freezes, it takes very long for that soil to actually freeze, go to freezing and drop to the temperature because water holds so much heat. And the second thing is if you've got a lot of water in there and your soil is going to freezing, it goes to freezing, 32, and because the ice is forming, it keeps it stable at about 32. If it's dry, the soil drops to the air temperature. Oh. Then you get desiccation and you get root freezing and damage. So that's why you'll hear people say, you don't have to water in the wintertime. I preach against it and say, keep it hydrated when you can. Moist soil is happier soil and plants are happy. In the southeast, nothing really ever. We, our warm season turfs, even though they're brown, they're not dormant. We call it semi-dormant. Okay. They still have green stolons. You get a little three, four days of 75 degree weather or Christmas time. Or you can degree. see a small little. You can see a exactly. small little green line. A little green right line next to the, yes. Yes, and you know you get into Christmas time and you say the turf's dormant and you get three, four days of good warm weather, which we sometimes do. Absolutely. Suddenly you'll see your especially zoysia. It'll start turning green again. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Because it's not really dormant. It's just it's semi-dormant. It's taking a nap. It's taking a nap. All right. That's right. So uh, okay. Now I have a question, yep. and this is for and, and this is for personal reasons. And I may probably have bite marks on my fanny when I get home, because I have been insisting to my husband every spring that he scalp the grass, and I'm making scalp it low. I should not be doing that. No. Okay. So when he takes it down and he goes and need it, he'll he'll do one pass through the yard. He'll you know do the mower down, and he'll do one pass through the yard and. And then he'll stand there and go, okay, how much more do you want me to take off? I'm, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. You have no idea. I'm going to tell him. I hate to admit that when I'm wrong, but I, I, I've been wrong. Okay, so when he – what – and I have empire zoysia. Remember That's that? Right. Empire Which is a one. weird zoysia. It is. It is. And I'm not going to say who picked it out because he – I just, I'm just not even going to go there. But you read all the advertisements. Empire's another. It's in, and I will say this. It's a good zoysia. But it's a little quirky. Oh, yeah. Quirky, yes. yes. And then combined with the husband, it gets even quirkier. <laughs> so, all right. So how how high, when we, quote, quote, scalp, should it be after we scalp it? Okay. A really Ooh. nebulous question. Okay. Um, open-ended. If you've allowed the turf to grow in August and allowed we do. it to get very long, we do. what you want to do is you can take that turf down. What I always say is what is your starting height supposed to be? So if you're going to start start your zoysia at two inches, you take it down to about two inches. You can take it down pretty far, but you just don't want to go down where you are scuffing the ground and just really taking it down. Zoysia, it just slows the zoysia down. Because zoysia in our, our area, it never because it's never really dormant, it holds a lot of energy in those 
grass blades. Mm-hmm. So at startup time, it's tapping its root system, but it also already has energy in the leaves, so it comes back out very quickly. Now, Bermuda's a different animal. Bermuda scalp it down because it's pretty much gone on the top. Right. Zoysia, it always has a lot of energy left in the plant. That's why zoysia, you'll see zoysia stay green. Sometimes you go, man, this is February, but it's still kind of green. You know, it's just kind of off color, but it's still green. It's There's enough sunlight where it's still trying to make, um, you know, it's photosynthesizing and it's making food for itself. But because it's winter, it's storing this, which is good for the plant. That's why zoysia is a very cool grass the way it operates. But if you take it down so low that you're hitting the ground and scuffing and that blade's scuffing, yeah. So just, no. Okay, so throw the number at me. It needs, my my zoysia needs to be how? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say two inches. All right, two inches. Yeah, okay. and if you go with two inches. And I'm safe. You're safe. Because we let it grow to like two and a half, three inches right. throughout the year. So first we, you start high and then. You just take it down to two inches, yeah. no lower than two inches. Yes, and again, that's a rule of thumb. Cause, you, know. you tell my husband about this, and I'm going to get you. I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to be emailing. Be, I, I will be now. emailing you every week going, oh, I've got these critters. Someone needs to come out. I'm going to get a call from your husband, this I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, we wanted to talk about. Organic, people talk about yes, organic products. everybody. I mean, okay. there's so many people that do yeah. not want to use chemicals, and they want to use organic. Is there anything okay. that you can use Here is, on turf? First, we got, we're back to the nuance of the language. Uh, organic gets tossed around a lot. Um, there are organic fertilizers that are made completely out of chicken manure, chicken feathers, this type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Malorganite, uh, which is treated sewage. Okay, Malorganite is a great type of organic product used correctly now as far as fertilizer goes you can use uh, let's say it's chicken-based organic fertilizer for your nitrogen when you look at the bag most of these bags now have changed from organic to natural Mm. now we're back in the nuance of language yeah the natural because usually chicken manure chicken feathers. Believe it or not, they grind up the feathers and everything else. That sounds pretty natural to me. It is pretty natural, except that there's not enough phosphorus and potassium in it a lot of times, so Mm -hmm. they have to add an organic phosphorus potassium. To me, that's not purely organic. That's a natural product, okay? Uh, Your inorganic fertilizers uh, with nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium from inorganic chemical sources, there is actually not much difference at all, and I can hear already And when this goes out. They'll be, oh, my gosh, this guy's preaching heresy. The microbes in the soil that break this down so that the plants can use it, because when you fertilize, it goes down the soil, the microbes eat on this and convert it to something the plants can use. Even the organics, they have to do the same thing. The microbes don't care where that fertilizer came from. It is a pure myth that inorganic fertilizers kill your flora and fauna in the soil. Pure myth. Okay, That is something that was started by the organic folks, not just the organic fertilizer folks, but all the organic people. Oh, yeah, it kills the soil. It, mess it. it doesn't. All right. Now, the organic fertilizers do help build soil, and they are good for that because the, or- the way the soil reacts to them, nothing wrong with that. So you can run a fertilizer program for your turf or your trees and shrubs that's what would be called really a natural product, okay? Now, what people also include in organic 
is no weed control, you know, the chemicals, the chemical side. Okay, if it doesn't have chemicals in it, then it's organic. Well, we're back to the thing. Well, it does have the chemicals in it. Okay, so we're going to call it natural over here, but there's no pesticide in it. There's no herbicide. There's no weed control. There is no turf weed control that's organically based. There are organically based herbicides that are made from different plants, but basically for turf, you're not going to find something that's going to specifically kill a broadleaf weed or a nut sedge, this type of thing. Most of the organic-based herbicides are contact herbicides, pretty much like Roundup. They just kill whatever you spray it on, they kill it. So you can't spray it across your lawn without hurting the whole lawn. So normally, if somebody's running what they call an organic lawn program, if a company sells you an organic lawn program or a natural lawn care program, you will have weeds if you tell them, I don't want any chemicals of them. Right. If you, but so there's no way around it. There's no way around it. All right. So now, weeds are perfectly fine. You know, a violet in the yard is a weed. A violet in the, you know, in the woods is pretty. Right. Depends on your attitude. You have to just, okay. just your attitude. Uh oh. Well, you know what? You're going to have to uh, buy dark glasses and a wig after this because you're going to be. They don't know where I live. Do oh, they? my goodness. <laughs> well, we're going to take a break. Um, you're listening to the Master Gardener Hour, and we'll return in just a moment, and we'll get right back on turf winterization. Quick stakes. That's Q U I K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q U I K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. I'm here with Pat Mawinney. I'm Anita McKee, and we are talking about turf winterization. And we're going to go back and kind of recap what we just talked about before the break. Um, just hit on some high points, and then we've got uh, there's a few more areas that we want to touch on before we run out of time. So I'm, I'm going to um, try to undig, get myself out of the hole that I dug for me on the organic and inorganic, because uh, I think the threats are already starting to line up. So. Uh, uh, organic programs uh, or natural programs for turf are great. I, I have nothing against them. Uh, what I try to make sure people understand is it's, it's not the same as a commercial or a homeowner type program. You can go to the big box store and buy with all your chemicals involved, your herbicides. That is what most folks want in the turf. Um, if you do an, a natural program without any herbicides, uh, without any insecticides, uh, it's very good for the turf. The turf will look very good. Uh, it's good for the root systems, but you're going to have weeds. Uh, and depending on the area you are in, you may have a lot of weeds. You may not have a lot of weeds. And, again, it's just adjusting expectations. Um, you know, we've got customers that we just don't have that program. Logistically, for a, uh, a chemical application company, these are programs are very hard to, to run, just logistics, the amount of materials used and everything else. Homeowners can easily do it. But, again, you're going to have some weeds. If you don't mind that, which is, again, depends on where that 
violet is. The violet in the turf is a weed, but the violet in the, in the bed's pretty or in the woods is pretty. If you don't mind having those weeds out there, there's nothing wrong with it other than the look, and you keep it cut short, a natural program is perfectly fine, and it does actually build the soil up. You know, So um, we wanted to talk about, let's touch on pH and lime real quick. Okay. Okay. Um, when you take a soil sample to the extension service, they're going to uh, send it back to you, and it's going to tell you, give you recommendations on your phosphorus. It'll tell you the phosphorus level, potassium level, some other stuff. Uh, then it'll tell you the, give you the pH. Now, the pH uh, has to do with the acidity or the alkalinity of the soil. Uh, your range, usually across the board, is 5.5 to 6.5. This is pretty much across the board in the entire world. Uh, your your plants will operate most efficiently within that range. Okay. Now, just real quick, it's a logarithmic scale, which means that 5, 5 to 6, 5, though it's, it is one point, that's radically different as far as effectiveness of the chemicals. If you, if you apply chemicals and you're within this range, the plants are going to be able to pick them up optimally. So you want to take in the fall, take a soil sample before you do your aeration and seeding or your, uh, or your liming especially. You should always pull a soil sample from the yard. Uh, if you've got a big yard, pull 10 or 15 or 20. Put them in a bucket, shake it up, take one small sample out. Extension will tell you how to do this, agriculture extension. You give it to them and see what the recommendation is for your lime. And the lime increases pH. It is a myth that you always have to lime. If your pH is within the range, you don't necessarily have to lime. Okay? We try to maintain our properties up at the higher end, and as it drifts down, and this is a logistic thing for the company. It's just that we like them to start drifting through the years, and then we can adjust as we go. We're probably one of the few companies that actually takes pHs to see what we have. Uh, so, but just throwing lime out every year is not a good thing. All right. All right. So, um, we were looking at, we were talking off break uh, about, um, or on break rather, scalping versus aerating versus, versus de-thatching. de-thatching. Okay. It's a good question. Uh, scalping is where you take your turf in the spring, the warm season turf, and you cut it shorter to remove all the old dead top turf that came out of the wintertime. Okay. That helps rejuvenate the plant get it going. It cleans it up. If you leave the old top turf on there, what happens is the plant is having to push a lot of nutrients up in there trying to restart that old grass. So you want to get that off there so it's more efficient because it's using its storage to feed that top of the plant and get it, get it cranked up. Uh, aerating. Aerating in the spring for warm season turf opens up the soil. If you have a high compaction soil, you can't, you can't fix the, the compaction. You cannot eliminate it. You manage it. So people say, well, I aerated last year, but it's no different. Well, you aerate every year, and you'll manage the aeration, manage the compaction to a level where uh, it helps the, the uh, water move down in the soil. This is what the aeration does. You use a core aerator, pulls the core out, opens that hole up. You get more air penetration. You get more water penetration. It loosens the soil so the root system can grow more easily in the soil. Uh, warm season turfs, especially if you real mow, produce what's called a, a um, crust. And it's the interface between where the grass, uh, the root system starts going to the soil. You get a crusting layer. And the crusting layer, though you may have very uncompacted soil below it, that crust gets so hard, nothing penetrates it. So the water doesn't go in. Nutrients won't go in. Nothing works correctly. Very essential to do that yearly aeration across the board. We we recommend every year you aerate. Uh, Fescue, you aerate in the fall when you're doing your seeding. You don't aerate it the rest of the time of the year rest of the year. 
Dethatching. Dethatching is a process where you, if your turf is so thick and you've built up a lot of old debris, zoysia does this pretty badly. Uh, your empire is not as bad. Okay, that's good. Yes, empire is not that bad. It's a more open turf. Uh, in the southeast, we get hot enough and wet enough the summertime that normally we don't have a thatch buildup. It, it breaks down. It's, in, it's essential to have a little bit of thatch. Uh, if you have no thatch where you're blowing it off, you're trying to keep it bare ground, then you don't have the um, – it's, it's called a mat layer that develops. And in that mat layer, that's where the bacteria live that breaks down your fertilizers so the plants can use them. If you don't have any thatch, you have a problem. You have an unhealthy uh, turf situation. Mm-hmm. So you need a little bit, little bit of thatch. Uh, if the emerald zoysia is notorious for building thatch up. It grows very thick, and if you run a rake through it or your fingers or a knife and you come, you start combing up a lot of debris and dead turf, it's time to dethatch. Uh, you can use – there's dethatching rakes. There's spring dethatchers. Usually about every three years on emerald zoysia, you may have to dethatch. But, again, if you don't have a thatch problem where you're building up all this thatch, it's not an issue. Uh, very seldom do we have to dethatch Bermudas here. Okay. And you never dethatch fescue and though you'll see people raking preparation for the aeration seeding it's just tearing grass out there's no okay. reason to pull it up unless you just have dead grass okay here's another one of those fanny biting scratches <laughs> that you get into trouble for last year when we um oh i'm gonna i'm gonna get in trouble for this one probably too but we when we we dethatched by i have a big blower right and my husband started at the top of the hill, right. that's where the house is, and he blew all the all the, the extra, you know, the grass, right. the thatch. When we dethatched it that way and we blew it all down to the street, you have no idea how much brown grass that came out of that thing. Right. Is that okay? Yeah. What you want to look at is look at the soil. If you've gone down to, to bare soil. No, we did not. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, you, if you still have, if you go down into your, um, uh, into the thatch layer. And you rummage around down there, and you've got a little bit of thatch on the ground, mm-hmm. and you don't have bare ground. Right. You're fine. Okay, good. Yeah, it's not a problem. Uh, folks will, um, in fescue even, when you bag fescue all the time, mm-hmm. uh, fescue tends to break down because it's such an open grass anyway. Right. Its thatch layer breaks down rapidly. So a lot of times, especially if you are if you bag it and then you blow, and you're bare ground under the fescue, it's not happy grass. Right. Uh, you, you need to have, it's better just to mow with a mulching mower. And then if you're going to blow it off, do a light blow off just to distribute anything that's left. Let it fall down in there. And then naturally, that thatch is converted to mat, which is converted to soil. And that's a natural process. So that's healthy, that little bit of thatch. So uh, with your empire, which is a wider blade type of zoysia, Mm -hmm. uh, Myers the same way. Uh, If you dethatch it, you're probably overdoing it because very seldom does it need dethatching. And also because the way it grows, you yank lots of turf out of the Okay. Cool. Well, that's the only time that we have done it. Yeah. Only time, and yeah. it did, and it would, it did beautifully. Yes, it, you're fine. It's, you didn't okay, overdo good. it. Yeah. Okay. Bare ground's not Ooh, good. Dodge that bullet. There I tell you, go. you, I'm not in trouble for that one. Okay. Uh, and um, I think um, we covered most everything. Most everything. Liming, watering, this type of thing. Uh, re, just a comment on the lime again. It doesn't do any. Lime is not magical. People think lime goes down and does it makes the grass greener. Well, it does. If you if you need to adjust pH, 
and you put lime down and you put it into the correct range, yet the grass would be greener because now it's going to be able to absorb nutrients better. But if you put lime down and you're already very high, which is the lime is going to increase that pH, if you're already up at 6.5 you put lime down and you're pushing it up above 6.5, it does not make the grass greener. It actually causes problems for the grass. The grass suddenly can't pick up all the nutrients uniformly. So... Um, or I should say optimally. So, again, that's why that pH, the sample that you're going to take, is really going to tell you what you need. And will you touch on, and I've had a lot of people ask me, how long, when you apply lime, how long does it take to get into the system and and for the grass to be greener? I hear it takes, it doesn't happen overnight. Correct. Great question. Okay. Um, with standard pellet pelletized dolomitic lime. The dolomitic lime has magnesium in it, okay, and that's usually what you should be using. There are some limes that don't have, uh, that aren't dolomitic, but across the board, dolomitic lime is what you should be using. If you use a standard pelletized dolomitic lime that you buy at the store, uh, it comes usually in like a 40-pound bag, sometimes smaller, it takes up to a year to see a pH change of one. Okay. 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 your soil sample coming back from the uh, uh, Agriculture Extension Service may say use, and you'll be very surprised, people don't realize how much lime should actually be put out. Most lawn care companies tend to put a kind of a token amount of lime out. It's fairly inexpensive. They spread the lime, and they're not trying to cheat anybody, but that's just kind of the way their program works. You will find that if you get your, your um, soil sample back, that it may tell you to put 40 pounds of lime out per 1,000 square feet. Well, 40 pounds is like a bag of lime, mm-hmm. but that's per 1,000 square feet. So if you've got 8,000 square feet, that's a lot of lime. That's over 300 pounds of lime, 320 pounds of lime. So when you go buy a bag of lime and you spread it on your lawn, it doesn't do much of anything at all. So that's why that, the, the sample is what you need to take and find out exactly what you need to put out. Okay, and it's very easy to do. If, if people don't know, extension service, it's a little brown bag. It has a, li- a line. It has the instructions. It's $6. That's the best six dollars that you will ever spend. Yeah, I think it's and eight you do now, that. But oh, is it eight now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, for your still, turf, yeah. your planting areas, it tells you exactly what's in that soil. And you may not need any. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. no reason to put stuff down you don't need. You were talking about the organics and putting the products down. If you don't need to put it out, as they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. You could make it worse. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's. I mean, it's free. It's. It, I mean, it's. It's. It. The extensions is free. Right. Where you go. All the information the extension has. Yes. Yes. Huge amount of information. It's wonderful. It is yep. wonderful. I have. Um. I have one question. Um. And we. It, it's. I mean, it involves turf, obviously. But I have a lot of customers ask me about moles. I have moles in my turf. It's tearing up my turf. When you have moles in your turf, does it, do they, are they just tunneling for the grubs, which are Japanese beetles, or are they, and will it hurt the root systems? Okay. Uh, a quick answer, uh, since we're running out of time. The moles are tunneling. They're, they're hunting, not just for grubs, but they eat earthworms, crickets. They eat any of the natural insects yes. in the soil. All right. So they're going to be foraging anyways. You may not have much of any problem. You always have grubs. We just don't have grubs in the high enough numbers to cause turf damage. So it used to be you put milky spore out to correct the, to kill the grubs. Therefore, in theory, you don't have moles. Well, they're still going to come and eat the crickets and the earthworms. So right. You may still have them. You don't want to put an insecticide out to kill the grubs because it kills, kills all, everything. everything. Bad, bad, bad. You, you're messing with the flora fauna balance. Not good. So... What you want to do is go out there and target the mole directly. Okay. Use There's some mole products, uh, Tomcat, Mole Killer, Talpert. 
kill the mold directly. Okay. But you're always... No chemicals. No chemicals. Okay, good. I feel better about that. I want to thank you so much, um, Pat Mawinney with Prestige Shrub and Tree. Um, You've been listening to the Master Gardener Hour. Uh, Again, thank you. Very informative. I hope that this has helped everybody. Um, And hopefully we will have you again. I hope I don't get in trouble when I get home. There you go.